Bible reading uh, this morning is one from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1173. And we will be reading from verse 17 to the end of chapter 3. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, reading from verse 17 to the end of chapter 3. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Gracious and loving Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that it has been preserved and recorded for us. And we pray, Father, that as we come to the reading and preaching of your word, that you would teach us, that you would help us to understand your word, and that you would help us by your spirit to apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, reading from verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown, or boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand what we were to suffer, that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and our affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, and all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. When I think about the church at Thessalonica, three things come to my mind. Uh, the first thing is this. I think about the length of time that Paul spent there. Now we can read about this in Acts chapter 17. I realize that we didn't read this passage uh, this morning. We read this a couple of weeks ago. 
but Paul goes to Thessalonica. He spends, in this text there, Acts chapter 17, we learn that he spends there three Sabbath days. In other words, three weeks. When I'm thinking about the church at Thessalonica, I'm thinking about the length of time that Paul spent there. Three weeks. And then there is persecution, and Paul needs to leave the city. And yet, by the grace of God, a church uh, was planted there. Uh, but it was a young church. Uh, so when I'm thinking about the church at Thessalonica, I'm thinking about this young church. Um, not necessarily a small church, uh, but um, it was definitely a young church filled with new converts, new believers in the Lord. This is not an established congregation of mature believers who have walked with the Lord for many years. This is a new congregation. This is a new work of God's Spirit in the hearts of the people, of the Christians living at Thessalonica. So that's the first thing that I'm thinking by way of context when I come to uh, the letter of, one, of Paul to one Thessalonians. I'm thinking Paul spent three weeks there. It's a young church. Uh, if you want to think of it this way, uh, there are babies uh, in the faith. So that's, one of, that's the first thing. The second thing that I think about, uh, uh, when I think about the church at Thessalonica, I remember that it was a church who had just lost their senior pastor. So that's the second thing that I think about. Here is a young church, but a, a young church that had just lost their senior pastor. The Jews living in Thessalonica uh, were so jealous of the success of Paul's ministry that they persecuted the church to the extent that Paul had to leave the city in secret by night. So here is this, this, is, here is this young congregation. Paul plants the church there. He goes there. He preaches the gospel. Uh, people are saved, but there is persecution. And the brothers there says to Paul, you need to leave. It's getting really intense. And therefore, leave, uh, Paul leaves. So when I'm thinking about the church at Thessalonica, I'm thinking about the context I'm thinking about a young church, but I'm also thinking about a young church uh, who has just lost their senior pastor. And all that this would have meant to them, not having Paul, uh, the apostle, the church planter, uh, with them. And then thirdly, I think about uh, the persecuted church. It's a young church. It's a church that's just lost their pastor. And then it's a persecuted church. The persecution that began during the time of Paul did not stop because Paul left. It continued. And here is this church, a young church, without their senior pastor, living within a community where they're being persecuted. So it's a suffering church. So these are the three things. A young congregation, a congregation without their senior pastor, and a, a suffering congregation. The question for us this morning as we come to our passage is this. How is Paul going to minister to them? He's not there in person. How is he going to encourage them? How is, how is he going to pastor them? So our first point this morning, I've titled that first point, A Pastor's Heart. And what I want you to see in those verses, this uh, beginning of our passage there, chapter 2, verses 17 and onwards, I want you to see Paul's heart for the new believers at Thessalonica. And he's going to tell them how much he, uh, they mean to him. Uh, he's going to tell them how he longs to be with them again. He's going to tell them 
how much it breaks his heart to be separated from them. So if you've got your Bibles there with you, uh, please look with me at verses 17 and 18, which I'm about to read for us. So Paul has been separated from them, and he, he writes to them, and he says this, But since we were torn away, torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul wants them to know, he wants this young congregation, suffering congregation, who's just left the their, just um, lost their senior pastor, he wants them to know that he has not abandoned them, that they have not been abandoned. He wants them to know that he is trying everything he possibly can to be reunited with them again. Uh, Paul wants them to know that he is hoping and praying that this separation would be for a short time only, that this would be a temporary measure. He wants them to know that though he is away from them, geographically, though he is away from them, physically, though he's not with them in person, that his heart is still with them, that they might be out of his sight, but definitely not out of his mind. He wants them to know that he has not stopped thinking about them, that they have remained in his thoughts and in his prayers, which is also something that he says to them in chapter 1. Paul wants them to know that he longs to be with them again, and that his separation from them is outside of his control. In fact, in the original language, in the Greek language, uh, Paul uses a very strong verb. He uses a very emotionally charged word to express how he feels being separated from them. Uh, in our church Bibles, in the pew Bibles, uh, verse 17 is translated as such. Uh, we were torn away from you. But the literal and better translation is this. We were made orphans from you. He wants the new believers to know that this is how he feels, being separated from them. He feels like he has been made an orphan. I've visited a number of orphanages in my life, and yet I cannot say that I know what it's like to be an orphan. What I've seen, however, is the look on a child's face when someone comes to visit. It's the look of expectation. It's the look of anticipation. It's this glimmer of hope in a child's, in, a, in an orphan's eyes when someone comes to visit. But then there is the look on the face of that same child when you leave. And in most cases, I never to see them again. It's an expression that is, that is hard to capture. It's a look of, of deep disappointment and resignation mixed together. And this is the kind of hard-wrenching pain that Paul is trying to express when he says to the young church in Thessalonica, to this young and suffering congregation, when he says to them, I have been made an orphan from you. He wants them to know that this separation from them has been unbearable to him. And all that he wants to do is to be with them again. So the main idea of those few verses 
uh, is for us to see how much he cared for them. This young group of believers converted to the faith that he's had to leave behind. Uh, that are suffering. He wants them to know how much they mattered to him and how much he loved them and how important they were to him. They meant everything to him. They were the fruits of his ministry. He says to us in verses 19 to 20 that they are his hope, his joy, and his crown of boasting when Christ returns. Paul is, is not saying this uh, to take any credit uh, for the work that God has done in their lives. Paul is not saying this to boast in himself or about himself. He's simply rejoicing in the privilege that God would use him to bring the gospel to them. Uh, this young congregation at Thessalonica, uh, the believers there were the source of his joy before God. And, and Paul longed to be able to present to Christ at his return and to be able to say to him, Lord, here are your people that you've blessed and saved through my ministry. He wanted them to know this. He wanted the young persecuted believers living at Thessalonica to know how much they meant to him and how much he loved them and yearned to be with them again. So that's why I've called our first point this morning, a pastor's heart. Because, because we see in these verses the expression of Paul's genuine and heartfelt love for the people of God, for the church. And our churches, our Christian communities, need pastors, need elders. They need Sunday school teachers. They need youth group leaders and members who genuinely, genuinely love and care for each other. Jordan was right when he said last week that some of us, that for some of us, the church is the only family that we have. For some of us, the church is the only place where we can find encouragement when we are struggling with the different circumstances and challenges of life. For some of us, the church is the only place where we can find godly advice and godly answers to the different pressures of life. For some of us, the church is the only place where we can find faithful friends and caring brothers and sisters in Christ who would take time to listen to us and support us and help us and pray with us and for us. So how do we show love? How do we show to each other that we care um, for each other in a meaningful way. Well, there are different ways in which we can do that and there are different ways in which I've witnessed our congregation do this. But this morning I've decided to share with you a few examples of how, uh, from our own lives, uh, as, as someone who is one of the pastors here, but also as someone who is a, a reasonably new member of our church. So now I'm not saying that this is what you should all be doing. I'm not saying that this is a prescriptive thing, that because I'm doing it, therefore you have to do it. I do realize that we are at a different stage and point in our own lives and that we're caring and loving each other in different forms and in different ways at different times. I'm very conscious of this. But I had to pick a couple of examples, so I've decided to draw them from my own personal experience. So how do I think through what it means uh, to love and care for our congregation. Well, 
I wear my name tag each week. It's a small thing. It takes me three seconds, two seconds to put it on. And I'm guessing that most of you would know my name by now. But I don't want to assume this. After all, we are a congregation of 300 plus people. We, have, we run four services every week. We have a service at 8.30, a service at 10.30, a service at 2 p.m., and a service at 6.30. So I don't want to assume that you all necessarily know my name. So it's a little thing, but I put it on um, because I know how difficult it is to remember people's name, or at least I find it hard. So I want to be helpful, I want to be loving, so I, wear, I put it on. It's a small thing. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing that I do is that I make a, a conscious decision uh, to sit at different places in the church each week. And I'm not saying this is what you need to do. I'm just telling you, sharing with you what I do. So I, I sit at different places uh, each week because it gives me the opportunity to speak to other people. So I'm sitting in the corner there uh, where Andrew is sitting. And um, so if I was to be sitting there, I'd be chatting to Andrew. Uh, sitting uh, all the way at the back there, I might be speaking to Daniel and Rachel, or uh, to Remo and Natasha. So, but but I, I try to pick different places, and it gives me the opportunity to chat to different people. Why do I do this? Well, I do this because I think that you are all important. Now, it's going to take me months uh, to catch up with all of you. And I apologize for not being able to do this more often and on every Sunday, but I'm working on it. Number three, I have joined a connect group. It allows me to, to care and love a smaller group of people within our congregation in a more personal way. So I've decided to do that. Uh, I try to get involved in the different aspects of the life of our church. When I can, not always, I join the men's group. When I can, not always, I go to the seniors' morning tea. And when I'm not preaching in the evening, I go to growing families. And that if, if I'm not too lazy. Uh, th they are all little things. But every little thing counts. Every conversation. Every prayer. Every handshake. Every smile uh, that we share with each other. Whether it's a connect group on Sunday morning. Every act of kindness. Every listening ear. Every time you sit to, with someone, hearing their stories and hearing what's troubling them and praying with them, every one of those little acts of kindness that we share with each other is a way for us to say to each other that we genuinely love and care for one another. Our churches, our, our Christian communities need this. And this is Paul's example to us from this passage. Jesus himself said, A new commandment. I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love, if you have love for one another. Someone once said, uh, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Let me read this again. Uh, someone once said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. It's the attitude that says, I couldn't care less. Well, Paul wasn't indifferent to the believers living in Thessalonica. He understood their context. 
Here is a, an infant church. Three weeks he spends there. He, he had to leave. But he wants them to know that they're not abandoned. They're not on their own. That he loves them. He cares for them. And he wants to go back and visit them. This is how important they were to him. So that's our first point this morning. A pastor's heart. That's a model for us to, to imitate. To meet, we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And we want to be a community, a church where we genuinely love and care for each other. Our second point, our second point I've called a pastor's focus. And I'm looking at chapter 3 and I'm looking at the first 10 verses. So Paul, he cannot be there in person. He cannot be there with them. He cannot be the one who ministers to them directly in a personal way. But there is one thing that he can do. He can send Timothy to them. And this is what he does in chapter 3. He can't be there, but he delegates the ministry to Timothy. So please look with me at the beginning of chapter 3, as I'm about to read for us from those verses. Therefore, says Paul, when we could bear it no longer, when we could bear this separation no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and, our co- and, our, and God's co-worker. When he could bear it no longer, Paul sent Timothy to them. He tells us in verse 3 that he was concerned and worried that the persecution that they were facing would become a stumbling block for them. It is clear from the previous verses that Paul wants to be with them, but the reason why he yearns to be with them is given to us in, the pre- in, in those verses that we just read. He's his concern about their spiritual well-being. As their pastor, he was concerned about their spiritual health. And he tells us in verses 3 to 4 that he has told them or warned them or trained them to understand that the Christian life would not always be easy, that it would be a life of suffering. So he tells us that he's told them that, but they were young in the faith. And Paul was concerned about them. And Paul says to us in in verse 5 that he was afraid that somehow the tempter, that is Satan, had tempted them or led them astray or uh, discouraged them or driven them to despair. And so he sends Timothy to them. In spite of the personal costs to himself, he sends Timothy. And Paul is willing to be left alone uh, at Athens. So he's orphaned, that's how he felt, and now he's alone in the city of Athens so that they wouldn't be alone, so that they would have Timothy with them. So he sends Timothy to encourage them and to strengthen them in their faith. What is at the back of his mind? Their spiritual well-being. He loves them, he cares for them, he wants to be there, he can't be there. He sends Timothy, but what is really on his mind and on his heart is their spiritual well-being. This is love, but love in action. Love that would put the spiritual needs of others first. Now we've seen Paul's heart. Now we see uh, Paul's selfless and sacrificial ministry towards them. Their spiritual well-being was the focus of his ministry. The primary reason why he sends Timothy is to encourage them, to establish them. To build them up in the faith. The word in the Greek, establish, is like building a wall to strengthen them in the faith. uh, Which is a crucial thing for any congregation never to lose track of. Why do we have a Sunday school program? 
Why do we run a Sunday school program? It's not primarily so that our children will have something to entertain them during the worship service. That's not why we do it. It's so that they will be taught the Bible. So what's behind the event is their spiritual well-being. Why do we have a youth group program? Well, it's, it's not primarily so that our young people would have a place to meet and socialize. Well, the opportunity is there that they, they do do that, but it's primarily so that they would be nourished in their faith and walk with God. Now, this doesn't mean that a church could never run a social event, event or anything else like this. I'm not saying this. I don't think Paul is saying this. Um, but what it means, though, is that we should always keep the main thing, the main thing. The spiritual well-being of God's people should always be the focus of our ministry as a church. What we're interested in is God's word and what God has to say to us. Where our hearts are is in the gospel. When we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are delighted to spend time with them. But what truly should be at the heart of all this conversation is their spiritual well-being. How are they going in their faith? How are they growing? This was Paul's focus. And this should be ours as well. So when Paul couldn't go personally to Thessalonica, he sent Timothy. It's like our senior pastor Gerald sending Jordan or myself or Duane or Zian or one of the elders. Paul can't go. He sends Timothy. And he sends him with this very important mission to build them up in the faith. He's not just sending him to say, well, why don't you go and see how they're doing and say hello. And he's sending them with a very important mission, which is to build them up in the faith. And in verses 6 to 10, Timothy then returns. So he goes there, he conducts his ministry, and then he comes back. And he's got this report with him. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles there with you, I'm about to read for us from verse 6. That's the report. So Timothy goes, he comes back. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, I'm reading from verse 6, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. What did Timothy report? He reported that they had kind memories of Paul. Now they, they might have been tempted to think lesser of Paul for leaving them while they were facing persecution. But they didn't. They longed to see Paul just as he longed to see them. Their love for each other was mutual and reciprocal. And more importantly, they were standing in the faith. That's the report. Timothy goes there. And what is it that he reports? They're standing in the faith. And what, what's Paul's reaction to this? He says, oh, now we live. Now we can breathe again. You are doing well in the faith. You are standing firm on the gospel. Now we can breathe again. Now we are comforted. Now that we know that the church is 
Standing firm in the Lord, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. I sometimes have the impression that when we speak about church ministry or pastoral ministry, that we are often just speaking about the problems that we face. Oh, there are challenges for sure. Church life can often be messy and complicated. There are roadblocks to the ministry of the church and the ministry of the gospel. But there is joy as well. Much joy. There are plenty of stories, are good stories to be told. There is the joy of witnessing the baptism of a newborn child, which we've witnessed last week. There is the joy of hearing the testimony of a young man or woman as they profess faith in Christ. How wonderful is this? We see them in Sunday school. They're six years old. They run around. They climb on the pulpit. They break something. Um, and then they grow up. And uh, they come to faith. They read the Bible. God works in their heart. What joy it gives to us to witness this. Then there is the blessing of celebrating the marriage of a young couple in the church. How wonderful. So blessed. And there is the joy of seeing a brother or a sister in Christ struggling through a particular sin for years and then finally putting it to death and walking in godliness. What joy. And when Timothy returned with good news about the faith and love of the young persecuted church at Thessalonica, Paul, he rejoiced, he gave thanks to God. Now his circumstances had not changed. He's still alone in Athens. He, he's still separated from them. He's still prevented from visiting them. The church at Thessalonica is still being persecuted. But God has protected them and God has sustained them in their faith. And, and for Paul, it's every reason he needs to give thanks to God and to rejoice. And this is how he's going to close up. This is how he's going to finish off uh, chapter 3 by, by thanking God, by, saying, by praying to God, by turning to Him, by turning to the God who has all power and is able to sustain His people, take care of His people and help His people grow. This is how he's going to close off. So we've looked at the pastor's heart. We've looked at the pastor's focus, which is on the gospel. Now we're looking at the pastor's prayer. I'm going to conclude with those last verses, verses 11 to 13. So he longs to be with them. He doesn't want them for a minute to think that they've been abandoned. He cares for them with a sincere and genuine love. He's willing to sacrifice his personal comfort to be with them. He puts them and their needs first. His focus is on their spiritual well-being. He rejoices when he learns that they're standing firm in the Lord. And he closes off with a prayer. Actually, he prays for two things. In verse 11, he prays that God would reunite, reunite them. He prays that God would clear the way for them to be together again. Though he believes that Satan is behind this, though he believes that the enemy of God and the enemy of the church is hindering his return and keeping them away from each other, yet Paul prays to God. He does this because he believes in the sovereignty of God. He believes that nothing happens in this world apart from the sovereign will of God. He knows that everything happens according to the just and the wise plan of God. He knows that if Satan has been allowed to hinder him, this too is from the sovereign hand 
of God. And so he prays that God who is sovereign over all things and God who is above all things will intervene and clear the way for him to be reunited with the church at Thessalonica. So this is the first thing he prays about. He commits this to God. He prays that the Lord would remove everything that's hindering him to be reconciled, to be reunited to the church at Thessalonica. And then he prays that they would continue to grow in their love for each other. And what is interesting in this, in this prayer, is that the church at Thessalonica was already a loving community. We can read about this in chapter 1, we can read about this in chapter 3. Um, they loved each other already. But still, Paul prayed that they would continue to grow in love for one another. Someone once said that complacency is the enemy of spiritual growth. It leads to spiritual negligence because complacency tells us that we've made it. That we don't need to grow anymore. But that's not what Paul does here. He prays that their love would increase. They love each other already, but he's not complacent. He's, he prays to God, he turns to God and he says, Lord, here is a young congregation separated from their senior minister, going through a time of suffering. They love each other already, but Lord, would you help them to grow and to continue to grow and abound in love for one another? And the purpose of his prayer, the reason why he prays is his desire for God to strengthen them and to preserve them and to keep them from stumbling. He wants God to guide them in holiness. And the key thing in those verses is, is, is this thing where it says, till Christ returns. In other words, till the end. He wants God to guide them in holiness till the end, that they might be blameless before God when Christ returns in His glory. As a pastor, his desire is for them to stand firm in the Lord, not just today and tomorrow, Till the end. One of our lecturers at the college once said to us in class that one of the saddest things that he's ever heard was this. There's a lecturer at the Bible college. He's also a pastor. And he hears this. Pastor, do you think that I've done enough to go to heaven? Do you see why this is so sad to hear. Because the answer to this question is always no. The answer to the question, Pastor, do you think that I've done enough to go to heaven? The, the answer to this question is always no. It breaks our heart to hear it. Because no matter how long we live or how hard we try, we can never earn our way to heaven. We can never be good enough. We can never earn our own salvation by the things that we do. We are saved by actually recognizing that we cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. We are sinners and the debt of our sins is something that we can never repay, even if we were to live a thousand years. But Jesus can, and Jesus has. And this is the good news of the gospel that the debt of our sins has been repaid in full 
by our Lord Jesus who loves us. He has obeyed God perfectly, not us. He has given his life to atone for our sins, the perfect Savior for us. And he says to us to repent of our sins and to trust in him and in him alone for the salvation of our souls. Apart from him, there is no salvation. And so Paul prays. He, he knows this. He prays for their eternal salvation. He prays for the eternal salvation of the believers living at Thessalonica, that they would continue to walk in the Lord till the end, till Christ returns. He loves them dearly. He cares about their spiritual well-being, and he prays for them. You see these three things, these three aspects of his ministry? He loves them. He cares about their spiritual well-being, and he prays for them. My prayer that this would be something that we can all carry with us in our own lives, that we would love each other, that we would care for each other's spiritual well-being, and that we would be praying for each other. So what we have in this passage is an example of the caring ministry of the Apostle Paul. He loved the people of God. He showed his love for them in practical ways, at his own personal expense. He served them sacrificially. He cared about their spiritual well-being. He is thankful to God for them and rejoices over, the, over them as they persevere in their faith. And he prayed for them and he prayed for their salvation. May we learn from Paul as we love and care and support and encourage and pray and listen and comfort each other. Let me pray for us. Gracious and loving Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this uh, our passage this morning. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for Paul's example of a loving and caring pastoral ministry uh, among the people of the church at Thessalonica. Uh, we pray, Father, that we would imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. We pray, Father, that you would give us uh, a genuine love for one another in the church, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We pray, Father, that uh, you would put it on our hearts uh, to genuinely care about their spiritual well-being. And we pray, Father, that we would be continuous in prayer for one another as we spur each other on um, to serve you and to love you more until the day of Christ returns. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.